0: Welcome to Gen Z Hoops. Today, we're joined by our Pacific Division expert, Ananya Raghavan, here to break down the past week of NBA action, including all the trade deadline excitement for the Clippers, Kings, Lakers, Suns, and Warriors. Ananya, to start things off, the Warriors were relatively quiet at the deadline with only two small moves made. What do you think about the decision that they made to not make a big trade?
1: So the two moves that you're referring to are sending Brad Wanamaker to the Charlotte Hornets and Marquise Chris to the San Antonio Spurs. These moves make sense to me because it clears two roster spots with a number of players still set to be free agents off buyouts. I expect one of those roster spots to go to Juan Toscano Anderson, who's currently on a two-way contract and has proven himself to be a very steady player for the Warriors and has just always made the right plays. Now, Brad Wanamaker has struggled all season and since the All-Star break, the Warriors seemed committed to playing Jordan Poole and Nico Mannion. In these rotation minutes, which those guys have absolutely earned with their play in the G League with Golden State when they returned. Marquis's Chris trade is a bit of a bummer to me because I think that he fits what the Warriors do very well. He's an athletic big who is versatile on both ends of the floor. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten to see him this year because of a season ending foot injury that occurred early on. But that being said, he is going to be a free agent this summer, and I would be surprised if the Warriors didn't try to bring him back. He's a guy that they really like and I'm sure would love to see him with the roster again. Now, ultimately, I think the Warriors were smart to hold off on making a big trade. The pieces that were moved across the NBA were not ones that were necessarily going to change the course of this team. This year has turned into much of a learning year for the Warriors, with Clay being out, Steph is now missing a good amount of time with his tailbone contusion, and there being a lot of young new pieces who need to learn the game in the Warriors system. Golden State has one of the biggest assets in the Minnesota draft pick this year, which is top three protected, and if Minnesota does end up in the bottom three that pick defaults to next year. So unless the Warriors were able to pull off a trade for a Bradley Beal caliber player, this is something to be patient on. And no matter how much we all want to see the team compete for championships every year that Stephen Curry is on the roster, you don't want to use that asset to just get a rental piece. So patience is the key here. I'll really be looking more towards what the team does this summer and in free agency to see what moves can be made more so than over this trade deadline.
0: Ananya, with all that being said, where does this team now stand for the rest of the season?
1: The Warriors are essentially going all in on the growth and development of their young guys like Nico Mannion, Jordan Poole, and James Wiseman. Jordan Poole's confidence has just been off the charts lately. With Steph injured, he's moved into the starting lineup and he's been playing aggressively, attacking the basket, making good plays. There's still young guys, young guy mistakes that he makes. This is just his second season in the NBA, but I love the growth that I've seen from him so far. Wiseman has struggled a bit lately, and in the game against the Kings this week, his frustration was really prevalent. Ultimately, I think he has a lot of potential and upside, and I'm going to give him time before casting a judgment on him. Now, I'm not comparing him to Giannis in terms of a caliber of player or what his potential is, but... When Giannis entered the league, he wasn't the dominant two-time MVP that he is today. So we have to allow Wiseman the time to grow and develop and see what happens there before we cast that pick off as a bust or a bad move for the Warriors. Allowing these pieces to grow and develop is going to be crucial for Golden State's future, and there's absolutely a way that they can invest in the future while still capitalizing on a top fifth player, and that depends on how they're able to develop these young guys and what they do this offseason.
0: Moving over to another quiet trade deadline team, the Sun's only move was to acquire Torrey Craig from the Bucks for cash. Does lack of move from the Sun surprise you at all?
1: No, it doesn't. And that's because the Suns roster was composed so well to start the season that there was really no reason to make a big move and change the roster up. This Suns team has done so well together that they currently sit at second in the Western Conference with a 29 and 14 record. They have one of the best defenses in the league. They have a great mixture of vets with young talent. So I like the decision to trust in what they have and what they've built and continue building on that going forward. Right now, the team is hard capped, so I don't think they'll be able to go after any of the players in the buyout market. So what the Suns currently have is the roster that they're going to have going forward. And this is one that's done really well, and I'm excited to see what they continue to do.
0: Although the Suns didn't really make any major moves, a number of other Western Conference teams did. How do you think that impacts the Suns' uh, playoff chances going forward?
1: The West was already a pretty crowded conference in terms of talent, and it just got a lot more crowded. The Denver Nuggets got better by adding Aaron Gordon and JaVale McGee, only having to give up Gary Harris in the process. Portland got better by adding Norman Powell from the Raptors, and Yusuf Nurkic is set to return from injury soon. And they finally have C.J. McCollum back from injury, and he's picking up where he left off in terms of playing really great basketball. Dallas got more offensive shooting firepower by adding J.J. Redick from the Pelicans. So while Phoenix is a really good team, a number of Western Conference teams just got better, and this could make it harder for the Suns to maintain their current position in the West. This team's absolutely a playoff team and a good one at that, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how the Western Conference standings shake out because it is a very crowded and very talented conference.
0: Going on to a team that many people expect to make a trade, but we're surprisingly quiet. What do you think of the Lakers' decision to stand pack and not make any big trades?
1: The Lakers are essentially betting on themselves, saying that if they're healthy, their current roster is enough to win a championship. That if has suddenly turned into a pretty big if, with LeBron James now out for some time with the high ankle sprain. Anthony Davis has been out for a while, and although he may be returning in about two weeks, there's a number of games that the Lakers are going to have to play without both of these guys. I do think the team will be okay once they get both LeBron and Anthony Davis back, but As we just talked about, the West has gotten a lot better, too, and if the Lakers continue to slip in the standings, they could potentially have an unfavorable early-round playoff matchup. I would have loved to see L.A. go after Kyle Lowry at the deadline. He's a guy that the Raptors were shopping, and he's an all-star point guard with championship experience who's averaging 17 points and seven assists in the season. I think he would have been a piece that probably would have the Lakers repeating as NBA champions. The player that I heard the Lakers were unwilling to part with in this trade was Talon Horton Tucker. And now, while I understand that this is a young guy with tremendous upside who only continues to get better, I think that if you can get a Kyle Lowry kind of player that is going to help you win championships now, especially when you have one of the best players to ever play the game on your roster, you give up a THT kind of piece to win now.
0: Speaking of those two injuries to the Lakers' best players, how has the team done in the absence of LeBron James' and Anthony Davis? And how do you think their chances stand of, of really keeping themselves high up in the standings until their return?
1: It's been a tough week for the Lakers since LeBron went down with that sprain. The team has blowout losses to the Suns and Pelicans. Early April is the expected return date for Anthony Davis to be out for four to six weeks. So this is a lot of time that the team is going to have to go without their top two players. In the two-week span before AD gets back, the Lakers are going to play roughly eight games, three games in that period that they should absolutely win, and this is against Cleveland, Orlando, and Toronto. The other five games are going to be very tough for this team without those two guys, but what I'm really looking for is to see solid play from their main rotation guys over that span so that when you do get LeBron and AD back, the team will be ready to go and make a playoff run.
0: Awesome stuff there for our defending champions. Then moving over to the Kings, they're a team that made a number of moves to the deadline. And what do you think their new shape roster looks like? And how is that going to change their playoff hunt?
1: The new addition to the Kings roster are Terrence Davis from the Raptors, DeLon Wright from the Pistons, and Mo Harkles and Chris Silva from the Heat. They only have to give up Nemanja Bializia and Corey Joseph and a number of draft picks in the process. I really like these moves from the Kings, although Corey Joseph was a good player for Sacramento. DeLon Wright's a dynamic guard, averaging 10 points and five assists per game. Terrence Davis could be a solid rotation player. And while it remains to be seen how these other guys will fit, I think that ultimately the Kings did get better. This team... Is essentially building around De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, which is what they absolutely should be doing. Halliburton has started the last six games for the Kings, which was something that I had expected to happen at some point this season, and the injury to Marvin Bagley III just accelerated the timeline for that to happen. Over this stretch of six games, the Kings are five and one with Halliburton starting. And I just want to say that they're also 4-1 and one since I returned to NBC Sports to work their games. I'm not drawing conclusions on that. I'm just stating empirical facts. Now, Halliburton had a career-high 28 points against Cleveland this week. And after a bit of a rough stretch of games from him, that naturally comes to a rookie. He has just been playing incredible. And with LaMelo Ball now possibly out for the rest of the season, I'm, I'm rolling with Halliburton for rookie of the year. I like the way that they're playing, and if they continue on this trajectory, they'll have a chance to compete for that playing spot in the playoffs.
0: Finally, one of the more surprising traits that go down, the Clippers sent Lou Williams to the Hawks for Rajon Rondo. What do you make of this move, and what does it do for the team?
1: Well, Lou Williams has been a great piece for the Clippers franchise and has done a lot for LA. I like the move to bring on Rondo, more so from what I think he can bring as a leader than as a player. Rondo has experience on multiple championship teams, and he's a more vocal leader than Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are, and his presence is something that I believe can help elevate competitiveness and drive of this Clippers team, which is something they've lacked on a consistent basis. As a player, we've seen that Rondo is capable of playing at a high level. He had some really good stretches in the NBA Finals last year, and while the Clippers may lose a little bit of scoring depth that they had from Lou Will off the bench, Scoring is not a problem for this team. And I believe that what Rondo brings covers a need that the Clippers have.
0: Lou Williams said that he contemplated retirement after the trade, but ultimately is excited to play for his hometown Atlanta team. What are your thoughts on the nature of moves like this and how it impacts players getting uprooted from their day-to-day lives and having to switch teams on a moment's notice?
1: I definitely empathize with how difficult it must be for players to get traded, especially when they give so much to a franchise. And Lou Will gave four great years to L.A. and helped build the team that they have now. I've touched on this in the past where I think it's unfair to get on players when they request to leave a team, but people have no empathy for when a team trades a guy. While trades are the nature of the business and they do happen in the sport, that doesn't take away from the emotions that a guy will feel if and when that does end up happening. The Clippers are certainly grateful for everything Lou Williams gave them and the city, and if he was going to be traded anywhere, I think the fact that he gets to go home to Atlanta is the best scenario, and I wish him well there. Atlanta is a really young and upcoming team. They've done great under Nate McMillan. I think they went on an eight-game win streak since he took over. And they're building something great there and can definitely use a guy like him.